there isn't as much personal exploration about like what truly interests you and what is going to eventually make your work different from everybody else's work. There's this sort of homogenizing force that social media has that makes people sort of want to just see something and replicate it and not necessarily explore what about that maybe they like and what makes it relevant to them and to their life and then push that further into new territory. Hey everybody, welcome to Works in Process. This podcast is a series of conversations where I speak to designers, artists, writers, and more to discuss their creative methodologies. I'm your host, designer and educator, George Garastegui. Today, I talk to designer and letterer Nick Masai. Nick's design resume ranges from decorative book covers to logos, and most recently, his fake mosaic type series called Fosaics. I learned more how we started Fosaics and why personal exploration and observations are the key to finding your creative voice. So let's get into our conversation. Hey, Nick. Thanks for making the time to meet up with me during your busy schedule, and welcome to the Works in Process podcast. My pleasure, George. Thanks for having me. So I like to start every conversation with some fun icebreaker. Okay. Um, and so this is the first time I'm meeting you. I'd like to get a little more comfortable and then we yeah. can kind of start getting to the conversation. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so my first set of icebreakers is just this or that okay. questions. Um, toast or a bagel? <laughs> um, uh, bagel. I mean, these are like really heavy hitting okay, questions. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? I'm going to say Beatles. Art Deco or Decorative Arts? Oh my God. Uh, well, you know, art deco is a decorative art or is a, I'm going to say decorative art because that sort of includes art deco and I'm not limited to that. So that's kind of, that's kind of like asking the genie for more wishes, I think, but I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, paper or digital? I mean, realistically, I'll probably have to say digital, even though I would love to be able to just say paper. Um, New York or Milan? Currently New York, but who knows one day. Ligatures or flourishes? Oh my God, you're good at this. Um, I'm going to say ligatures because they take a little bit more work. Okay. The interconnectivity, nice. Yeah. Um, And this one I probably know the answer to, but books or movies? Books. Yeah. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. So awesome. And now kind of a quick word association. Sure. So first thing that comes to your mind when I say these words. Okay. Right? Okay. Try not to think too much, right. but um, creativity. Uh, well, I guess this, like being stifled and not knowing. <laughs> uh, design. A typography. Art. Painting. Business. Meetings. Yeah, those kind of suck. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> Failure. Uh, I guess difficulty and like struggle. Clients. Emails. Mistakes. I'm going to be cheesy and I, I, I didn't say opportunities, but. Um, Tools. A computer. Skills. I guess just schooling and training is what comes to mind. Opportunity. Uh, I guess New York and being here. Future. Uh, uncertainty. Risk. Change. And last but not least, process. Iteration. Cool. Was that tough? Yeah, that's, that is tough. Yeah, it is a little bit tough. I know. I get stuck with it, too. So if I had to do it, I'd probably be, it would, yeah. I would still be thinking about answers. Because I mean, obviously, like, sometimes you just want to say, like, something totally random, like cricket or whatever. But but if that's what came to your yeah, mind, that I mean, would be amazing. If cricket came I do want to sound, like, just a little bit. Like, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just a tiny that's bit. That's it, right? Cool. Thank you. So we definitely can find you all over the internet. Right, we can find you on Facebook. You can find you on, definitely on Instagram. We can find you. I mean, I even found you on the Weather Channel. 
Oh, right? yeah, that's right. I found, you know, so just searching Nick Masani on the internet can get to a lot of different things. But I think there are a lot of people who probably still don't know you. So, yeah, um, I'm sure. Only a couple. Well, but for those, for those couple, on, I kind of call this section like an origin story. Okay. Can you kind of bring us up to date from your schooling and your jobs and everything? Yeah. So um, I, was, I was born in Milan in Italy uh, by a family of uh, jewelry designers. My uh, father especially um, was a, um, he started a, a jewelry design company called uh, Misani Gioielli. And my mother is uh, American and she, she moved to the States right after college. She was a studio art major, also specializing in jewelry and uh, began working for my father, uh, eventually married him, moved to Italy and, and had me. I went to school. My first formal training was um, in high school. I went to a, an architecture and industrial design specific high school, which is not it's not uncommon in it, in uh, in Italy. High schools are generally specialized. So after that, I decided to uh, switch switch gears completely, mostly because my. Fa- I came from a family of designers, so the idea of going into design wasn't as exciting. No. So, no. so I, I decided to pursue classical music and eventually went to college for that. I moved to the States, to upstate New York, um, to study classical music and, as it happens, East Asian studies as well at Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs. And East Asian Studies was because I had lived in uh, Japan for a little while while I was in high school. So after that, I wasn't really psyched by the prospects, uh, by by my professional prospects as a kind of mediocre classical musician right after college. So I uh, decided to make a switch and uh, re-explore design as a professional sort of possibility, but a slightly different type of design than what my family had been doing in the 70s and 80s. So I applied to four different graduate programs uh, in graphic design. And uh, because I had absolutely no like experience or portfolio to speak of, I only got accepted to one, which was enough because I, w- I went to that one and, oh, okay. uh, and that ended up being uh, Pratt here in the city. So that's what prompted my move down to New York City from from Saratoga Springs and eventually what got me started on this on this path. Cool. So moving from upstate to New York, right? And having more classical music background mm-hmm. and but what made you go why graphic design? Yeah, and why not, like, all the other anything designs? Else? Yeah, why graphic design? I was for some reason I was always doing it by default like if if there was a family gathering or something i'd be the one doing the invitation or if my mom put my grandfather's like dried sage in a jar she wanted me to do a label for it it's it sort of always happened that i was uh i was making these designed pieces not really thinking of it as a as a career a sort of a career direction but I was familiar with the software because I had I had taught myself to use Photoshop from I guess since I since I was in high school, and um, I was just the I was more artistic than my brother I guess, so it just sort of fell on me to do those things. And when when it was time to sort of choose a, a design path to go into, that just was the first that came to mind. Um, okay, and, and I, I mean I guess you chose right. Well, yeah, I guess so. I hope so. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a normal kind of doubts about like, am I doing the right thing? Or like, is there something else out there? But more or less, I'm I'm pretty happy where I am doing what I'm doing. And I think the more than the choice to go into design, what was most transformative was uh, the variation within the design field and, and how from Pratt, which taught me absolutely nothing about historical typography and lettering. I ended up working for Luis, which was the actual sort of um, milestone moment for me as far as um, 
putting me on the path I am now and kind of getting me interested in the things I'm currently interested in. And Luis being Luis Feely. Luis Feely, yeah. Right. Um, um, great letterer, great branding. Yeah. But so that's interesting that now you go from classical music to design at Pratt, and then you start to realize that maybe you weren't learning this historical context of letter forms or history. And was Luis your first job coming out of school? No, I interned at MUCA Design for a few months. And right after that, I got a job in the art department at Penguin doing book covers under Paul Buckley Yeah, for a year and a half. And after that, I started working for Luis. Okay, that's a great little... Yeah, ride. yeah, and they were all very useful in in their own sort of in in different ways. Right. But um so I mean, if you're the if you're the go-to person in your family to make the labels for the spices and yeah. for this and the and the invitations and things like that, have you always had an affinity for typography? I don't know. I mean, I don't think those sort of projects were ever really evaluated in terms of their typographic strength um i look back on them now and they're most of them are are pretty bad but i i never found typography to be terribly difficult so once i tried setting design in a more formal setting before going to graduate school i took a five-week graphic basic graphic design class at skidmore during the summer so that was my first introduction to formal typography to actually learning what typography was and it was pretty natural it wasn't it didn't feel difficult or um or or particularly challenging i mean i i think that at the time i didn't i didn't struggle like that much picking it up so maybe i i did have a somewhat of a natural sort of affinity to it um of course I had a ton to learn and I still do. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to say that I was great. Oh no, but, but, uh, but it becomes a little bit more natural. And I, I guess trying to ask maybe in Italy or abroad, because when you, you, you came to the States when you were about how old? I was 19. So, I mean, that's a good, I mean, that's, you know, you're beginning your life in a different country and seeing how all of those historical references of typography is just, you know, like, you know, I visited Europe and to yeah. see some of these storefronts and just the yes. naturalistic, you know, storefronts there. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like, such a good point because I never thought of my upbringing as having helped me in any way, really. Um, and by upbringing, I mean sort of my geographic upbringing more, more than my family or, or anything like that until Louis sort of pointed it out, you know, that I grew up in a place where great typography is everywhere. So maybe some part of me, even though I didn't really know what typography was, was still kind of absorbing that or yeah. in any, in some way or another, it's still part of my, my makeup just by being European. Right. And I, I think just being able to see mm-hmm. good stuff and you take in that and to know yeah. what quality you know, type in a different setting. And I think that's what's, you know, it's just different from yeah. America is, you know, we have the slabs, we have the this, yeah. it's a little more heavy and, and chunky versus a little bit more fluid, a little yeah. more uh, thinner and lighter, sure. you know, it seems to be European, just from my experience. It took a little bit of time to, to recognize that. And, oh, I bet. And, and just to know, you know, there were signs in my own town that I had never really even noticed until I started working for Louise and she was publishing these books about signs and seeing, seeing this signage that I had just glazed over my entire life within sort of the framework of working for Louise and understand and seeing it through her, through her eyes and uh, filtered through her passion and her knowledge is what really made it come alive for me more than an entire sort of youth of of living around it and not even really seeing it. Right. I guess you need that that external thing to kind of put it all into context and make yeah. it make sense to you. Yeah, right? for sure. You, you could definitely see that there's definitely that sensitivity now. And I guess having that, that help from Louise to kind of clarify some of the things, um, right? And our jobs are always ways of us learning all the time and learning how to see. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think sometimes picking up the nuances that we're... we're sometimes not attuned to 
anymore. I mean, living in New York, there's so many things around here that we easily don't really pay attention sure. to. So I totally understand that idea of I've been seeing these signs forever and don't really yeah. understand it until somebody else points it out. Yeah. And speaking of Art Deco, I mean, New York has amazing like Art Deco stuff. And I don't know how many people realize that, that live here, that, you know, you could just walk, you could just walk down, I think anywhere around like the Empire State Building, there's like, or Grand Central, there's these like really amazing Art Deco doors that um, I was so surprised when I just stumbled upon them. And um, it's all sort of right here. Right. Is that one of the reasons why the style that we're going to be talking about with your fake mosaics lends itself to that aesthetic? You mean that a lot of them tend to have sort of an Art Deco flair? or I think so. I think that, you know, during your time at, at Luis and then you're understanding how to start seeing your own neighborhood and where you come yeah. from in Europe, and then you're noticing a lot of these things and typography, just being able to see things becomes a little bit more natural. Sure. Now you're working with somebody who deals with that type of typography to the nuance and yeah. understands the little things. And, you know, we talked about the ligatures and the flourishes sure. and all these things that make type a little bit more exciting. And, you know, if we look at Luis Feely's work and even your work, it's just, it's an intricate way of exploring the letter form. And then you start doing a project, which is about fake mosaics yeah because louise takes photos of yeah of stuff in europe right you're working on books with her yeah and and you're just noticing these things but when did you first start a fake mosaic well so the first one i've started 100 percent on my own because i thought it would be cool um or a cool instagram post i suppose was um in September of, I guess, two years ago at this point, of 2016, uh, when Typism, this sort of, this large collective of um, typographers and letters, um, posted a call for entries called Letter Where You Live. So I was supposed to, so each participant was supposed to make a letter, a composition in whatever style about the place where they live. So that's when I did that Kip's Bay piece. So that was the first time I tried to take all of the information I had sort of gathered from observing mosaics closely working for Luis and make it into something that was completely original, but looked real. Prior to that, there had been a couple projects with Luis uh, where she was trying to pitch a mosaic illustrations for logos or for other client pieces that I had to help her mock up. So this this technique is something that started even before I launched the series or before I experimented with actually a complete piece that was sort of photorealistic or realistic enough to sort of look like it could have just been a photograph. And the technique has evolved a lot since. I mean, Luis or Luis's studio has uh, created a pretty well-known mosaic poster. She did one for SVA that says like, yeah, it's never one. too late to go where you're going. Something, something along those lines that was inspired by a New York city subway style mosaic. And that was done a, f- a few generations of Luis Feely LTD employees before me. And there was never that sort of passing on of the technique and since then, Luis's studio has created other mosaic style pieces, but every designer who's worked with her has had to kind of backwards engineer that technique and sort of figure it out on their oh, she's own. She's never given out the secret. Well, Luis, well, the, the people who were actually doing the nitty gritty, like digital work to put them together, it wasn't, they weren't being secretive. They just sort of, they eventually left the studio and the projects were far enough apart where it didn't, there was really no overlap. So my own sort of, my own interpretation of the technique and my own spin on it was really, really came from my, my strong interest in decorative art and in mosaics as an art form that was, that I've had for forever, but 
was informed, especially by working on these books and and observing real mosaics so much. So, so let's let's go back, right? So yeah, you, you had to do typism, and their and their um, yeah, letter where you live. It was called. Let, letter where you live. So you live in Kipps Bay, New York. Yeah, but out of all the different types of styles you can do, you decide to do a yeah mosaic. a floor mosaic. Yeah, um, I I I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I suppose it's just because I don't know why. I I think be, because working for Luis mosaic mosaics were like run of the mill. Like I would see them like every day walking into the studio, there would be a printout of that, um, of that SVA poster, like right by the door. So I would walk past it every single day. It just seemed like another possible way of, showcasing a location and thinking about sort of what it what it means to be in a place and to live in a place and I'm not I'm sort of thinking about it from from now I I I wasn't that intentional as I was doing it but I think that as I was pondering the idea of of being in a place and living in a place the first thing that came to mind was the fact that on Instagram, people tend to just photograph their feet to kind of like mark that they've been somewhere and kind of state their presence in a specific location. So the leap to making that the canvas for a piece that was going to be on the floor wasn't, wasn't a huge one. And when thinking about, creating typography on floors mosaic was just the first thing that came to mind because i was in like in the middle of like louis land at that point so that was just yeah traditional and european and decorative and all of that yeah and i mean when you look at it it's a perfectly photorealistic version of an image of something on the floor and when i look at it as a designer i want to dissect it sure and i and i want to know how it's actually done what goes into a piece like that Sure. So it's, as you can imagine, it's, it's a multi-step process, but it's not really as complicated. There aren't really any sort of tricks to it. I generally start by just sketching out the words and what made this series interesting for me from the beginning, um, even before I even knew it was going to be a series when it was just that one, that very first piece about Kips Bay and then the second about LA, I, I wanted the actual letter forms to be informed by the limitations and the conventions of traditional mosaic technique. So I didn't want to just draw whatever lettering I felt like and then put a whole bunch of squares over it or make it out of squares or tiles or whatever. It was more about the fact that tiles will allow me to go only so thin or will allow me to do only very specific things. And that, and those limitations really interesting to me from the beginning. And also there's, there are all these conventions governing technique as old as mosaics are. There's um, like a half a dozen traditional tiling patterns that, are so old they still use Latin names. And just getting to know those and using those as a jumping-off point for the design was really interesting to me. So once I have a lettering composition that feels like it could be done in a mosaic realistically, then I'll move over to... in um, Then I'll move over to Illustrator where I trace my lettering and create a series of guides that help me as I'm hand drawing the grout. And this, this phase is purely just to prepare for for the next phase to make my life easier as I, as I move on to the next phase. Cool. So let's just get some clarification. Yeah. Right? So mosaic being an art form that deals with tiles. Yes. Right. So like, where did you learn about all of these little rules mm-hmm. to say that, you know, you're doing something digitally, but you're thinking about what the limitations are, exactly, even though yeah. it doesn't really apply to you? Of course, yeah. But that's what makes it realistic. It's the fact that I'm following rules that 
I don't need to be following, but are nearly impossible to bypass if you're doing it, if you're doing the real thing. So I, I, and I learned about them to sort of answer your questions just by observing um, mosaic after mosaic working for Luis and sort of recreating maybe a, a piece of a mosaic that was obscured by a scaffolding in a specific photo to prepare it for publication in one of her books. So that kind of, so you redid some of those. Yeah. I had to redo pieces of them maybe or restore like little tiny areas. You know, sometimes maybe there was a corner of a rug on top of a mosaic and that needed to be removed or different or, or a particularly large mosaic had to be shot in different frames and maybe with different lighting conditions. So oftentimes it was just easier to redraw the whole thing. That's where that kind of intimate familiarity came from. But even then I didn't know that, you know, a pattern made of overlapping semicircles is called opus circumactum. I mean, I, I learned that because I just love decorative art and I love these like esoteric names and techniques that have been used for so many hundreds of years. At a certain point, I started getting really into interior design. I rediscovered a lot of those things that I had learned by just observing, you know, kind of how it sort of parallels how I I learned uh, Japanese when I was living there. You know, I was going to high school in a, I was going to a Japanese high school where nobody spoke English and I spoke no Japanese. So I had to learn by just, mimicking and um i would just know how to i i just learned how to say set phrases and i didn't really understand the grammar behind what i was saying but i was i was talking and i was getting myself understood and i was understanding what other what people were telling me it was only in college when i continued my japanese studies that i learned well this thing that i was saying is you know the past tense of this other thing that i was saying and um you you sort of I later added this framework of like theory that helped me sort of make sense and expand the knowledge that I had gained just sort of instinctively. And it's sort of what happened with mosaics. I learned about these patterns and these techniques and these materials by just looking. And it was only after when I was kind of researching uh, because I thought maybe I wanted to be an interior designer because I was sort of sick of graphic design for a while um, that I was like, Oh, this particular pattern is called this. And it was used because of this and um, and went, and it all kind of came together when I when I did this series because right. I had the theory and I had the practice a little bit. So the immersion kind of helps you get there because you get interested enough in what you're doing and I can kind of equate it to like learning Photoshop. Photoshop yeah. is one of probably the easiest programs I think to learn because you can kind of just go in it and start yeah. messing with buttons. And yeah, that's how tool. I did it, yeah. But when you're just starting out and somebody goes, okay, you need to multiply this and overlay that and, do, and you have no idea what sure. those terms mean, but you've probably, you know, done and messed around with the buttons enough to yeah. actually do that. But somebody goes, this yeah. is what the thing is called. And you're like, oh, I've been doing it this way. I didn't even actually know <laughs> what of course, it, was, yeah. it was called. So now just listening to you, you know, realize the immersion of just I'm learning, learning, learning. Yeah. And then my interest starts to, you know, put me into this interior design mode where I go, oh, wow, now it's actually called... This thing, yeah. That to me would definitely make me even more interested in something because now it's like, oh, wait, that thing has a term. Yeah, you're sort of rediscovering it and you're understanding the theory that governs it. And and I think think that interest um, was really instrumental as I launched the series because as you can imagine, it's a very, very time-intensive process. So it takes like if there isn't that drive to explore like a particular pattern that you think is really beautiful, you're not going to like want to spend 12 hours drawing little squares to make that happen, you know? (laughs) So I've noticed that it's a technique uh, in sort of in the months that have passed since I've launched the series. And as I've seen the series kind of grow, um, and have seen other people experimenting with the technique. It's it's a technique that people are interested in learning, which is really awesome. And then maybe they'll try it and then they're done 
they're like, okay, this was crazy. I'm yeah, done. Yeah, it does. It definitely seems yeah. crazy. But getting now getting back to the nitty gritty, you were talking about, um, you know, after you do your initial sketch, then you go back and you draw out the grout. Yeah. Right? And so the grout, in, for designer, I mean, the grout is the negative space. Correct. It's not the positive space. It's right? not you're the not, tile itself. Yeah, you're not talking yeah. about the tile. So why are you talking, why are you designing, why are you yeah. dealing with the grout? I suppose that's that's maybe the the key of all this. I don't know. I've never really thought about it until now, but I think people assume that I draw little squares when in fact I'm drawing lines and, and you know, obviously I'm thinking about the squares because the, when I draw the grout, that becomes my positive and the, the, the tiles are the negative space. So I try to be aware of that negative space and I, I definitely am conscious about, inserting one or, or two or three different types of imperfections that I've seen in, in like actual tiles. So I have this like little like library of imperfections that I sort of rotate, but really I'm, yeah, I'm drawing the space between the tiles, which then I, I color in, I color in the actual tiles and then that those become the, the, the positive space that shows up. So first of all, how large dimension wise is a normal piece how much let, mm. let's go with the kips bay piece right yeah. let's let's stick with that well that that's a that's that's sort of like kips bay was the very first one so i hadn't really developed a system just yet that okay. one was all drawn by hand um with tracing paper and as the as i did my first like two three four five pieces then the technique got a little bit more streamlined and i so where's where's which one would would be like the beginning of a streamlined piece? Well, um, maybe Atlanta was one of the, still one of the first ones I did. I think it was the, I think it was number three. Um, yeah, exactly. It has like a sort of a, a wave type layout. It's uh, black. Uh, I think I used heck. Oh no, I didn't use hexagonal tiles. I, I used white, <clears throat> white marble hexagonal tiles on top and bottom, but then I used, um, regular square tiles and it's just black and white. And, uh, that was a particularly time intensive one because it uses this, uh, background filling pattern called, um, Opus Musivum, which I'm going to look all these up. I'm going to yeah. have to ask you to spell them out for me. So I yeah. can, there's no way I'm going to write this and get it right. Yeah. It uses this, this particular pattern that takes the outline of your central, element in this case the word atlanta and just repeats it over and over again and almost as if you drop the word into a pond and it ripples out yeah so because curved lines take way longer to draw in mosaics than than straight lines with that one i started standardizing the resolution and the size and i work at um four inches by five inches at 900 dpi so yeah, I don't know why I chose those. I mean, I know why I chose the four by five because that's the proportion Instagram uses for portraits. Okay. But, and I, I suppose I wanted 900 DPI in case I, I chose to scale them up. Right. So, I mean, if you do 300 off of that, which is three times larger, so you exactly, can get 12 yeah. by 15. Yeah. That'd be a nice size. Nice size print. Yeah. And, you know, I push it a little bit farther for like my larger size prints because there's so much detail that it doesn't. I don't notice any like breaking up in the right. in the sort of larger prints. All right, so you've systemized where it's four by five, nine hundred dpi. Yeah, and so these these little techniques about you know these imperfections and these things, these are something that you go back to now, right? This is kind of like your arsenal of sure. Yeah, because the more you do something, the more you sort of develop a toolkit, and yeah, and standardizing has helped not only so the output is consistent, but also, so my brush that I use to draw the grout doesn't have to change size. Like I always know that at that resolution, it can be a specific size. So, um, that has been standardized. Even the color I use to draw in the grout is always the same, even though I then sort of modify it slightly in Photoshop at the end of the process, but everything pretty much stays the same. There's already enough to think about with drawing like 10,000 tiles. So Right. Well, 10,000 tiles. That's no small feat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but being that small kind of, let's say, four by five, um, is it something that you focus on the computer with or is it something you're using a tablet 
anything like that yeah. to do that and then refining at the end in Photoshop or is it kind of desktop or tablet? What do you... I use an iPad Pro for the the, the grouting phase of really? it. Really? So I can zoom in easily and just draw. Yeah. So I use an iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil and then I move on to Photoshop when it's time to actually color in the tiles. Do you love that Apple Pencil? I do. Yeah, I do like it a lot. Yeah, I have a friend who does a lot of type stuff as yeah. well and he he just does everything all his main sketches are on yeah on the iPad. yeah and my first i mean my first fosaic was was done by hand the grouting was done with tracing paper and a, and a very thin pen but um the ipad has really streamlined the process for me so on the ipad pro do you have these little what like is it brushes, like or, brushes something. or something like that no or is it just you it's just me it's just an illustration <laughs> it's just me like I just use a single brush, a regular right. round hard brush, and I just draw draw it. You know, bear in mind that I have a guide on the, in the background that right. I am using that has my lettering on it and where I've established sort of the width of my rows of tiles and um and then I I sort of from there it's just all it's so, all just a brush, yeah. Right, so main stuff is all an iPad Pro and then Photoshop on the desktop is probably where you do all your coloring correct wow and if you notice the the color of some of these tiles they're not just your blacks are not just solid solid black yeah yeah because i mean tiles are generally made of porcelain or or or, um clay or, or more more frequently um stone and it's really difficult to get consistent color when you're working with stone and also if you're laying down tiles, chances are the angles are slightly different. So they all catch the light in a, in a different way. So that hence this variation within the tiles. And as I mentioned to you earlier, it's really interesting to me to see how people sort of backwards engineer the technique. And it like some people have actually used techniques trying to recreate my technique that are much more clever than what I was doing and that I've then incorporated into my technique. Okay. Um, just because it was a better way of doing it that I hadn't thought about. But one person found out a way to use a, an illustrator script to fill in the tiles and sort of randomize the shades of color so that they don't each have to be colored in individually, which is what I do. Right. Um, and that is so clever and it, I'm sure saves a ton of time, but it was something I chose not to do in the end because I sort of like the fact that I have to lay down the tiles individually. There's kind of this, it kind of mirrors what it would look like if you were making a real mosaic. You sort right. of have to put the tile down one at a time and I have to choose the variations of color as I go. And because I'm not a machine, sometimes one area of the of the piece has more of like black number one and so it's a little bit splotchier overall and i think that's fine because it's it looks more handmade and it, it looks more realistic when so you're okay with that oh totally yeah 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 so in fact so much so that i sacrifice however many hours extra it takes me to do it by hand versus using a script All right to so get even, that unevenness so yeah even after you found out about this script you're that's like, one thing not, i decided not gonna... to do yeah so Laying down all this tile, even though it's not physical, yeah, right? it's still plotting the paintbrush. And, sure, and, I mean, or the paint bucket, and yeah, click. That's click, exactly what click. it is. Yeah, that's laborious. Where's this patience coming from? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't actually think of myself as a particularly patient person. I think, and even as I'm working, or as I was working on these, I was trying to blast through it because I was already thinking about the next one, and. Um, and that production phase just was taking so long. But I think once you get into it, it's a pretty meditative activity. It's kind of like knitting or, um, you know, you can do it while you're watching something on TV, documentary or something. Um, it's, it's, and, and thanks to the iPad Pro, especially it's, it's an activity that can travel fairly easily. Um, so you can paint then on well, your, your, your iPad. My little setup was that I would be sitting on the couch with my iPad, but I'm, I'm using this app called Astropad. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it basically no. turns your iPad into a 
sort of like a Wacom tablet. So you basically see your screen on your iPad. Oh, I've heard of so I can like- it, yeah I can communicate with my computer without you know wirelessly through the Wi-Fi. So I'm still using Photoshop on my computer, but I'm sitting on my couch doing it and just like doing it on my iPad. Oh, then I can yeah that sounds very therapeutic. I yeah, think. it's 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 pretty nice. You know, you can still watch TV and or you know pet your dog or whatever and uh, still be doing this, but. It's interesting how the process or my attitude towards the process can change when it's not a personal series anymore. And it's like a magazine cover that I have to do by a specific time and where other people's vision is also involved. And that kind of changes the relationship towards this very sort of meticulous, time intensive task when it's not just about you, you know? Right. So this series, which which started... Um, like you said, I think you said about two years ago. Um, well, Kip's Bay was in September of 2016, but um, the series itself didn't start until I think be, any, between February and like April of 2017. So I'm not, I don't quite remember, but the series is less than a year old at this point. It's probably 10 months old or nine months old. Um, It has moved pretty quickly, though. It has. Doing research, you know, about you to understand what this project is, you know, definitely seeing your face pop up a lot more and doing all this. And even today, I think I saw your Facebook (laughs) post and it was your print magazine's uh, Artist of the Week. week. (laughs) Designer of the Week. That's awesome. Thank you. Only online because there's no more print magazine. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not in print anymore. Yeah, it's here. Um, but now you're starting to do these things. It's no longer just a side project. You're no longer just doing it for Instagram. Yeah. And now people pick it up. Now people are starting to be like, look how cool this thing Nick is doing. (sighs) And you start getting obviously some client work. Sure. Right. I think I've seen something for the village voice. Yeah. What other things have you done recently? Yeah. I did a, a feature opener for Airbnb magazine. I did, I did this magazine cover for uh, Modern Reformation. I did two other magazine covers for uh, two uh, university publications, one for Brigham, Brigham Young University and the other one for Wake Forest University. And it's interesting because most people associate travel with this series because I made it about travel, but also because the the shoe photographing phenomenon is about sort of being in a place and going to a place. But for example, the um, Modern Reformation magazine took the mosaic look in a completely different way. They, they saw religion and sort of tradition. So they wanted me to do, they were doing a, a feature on Russian orthodoxy, which has a long tradition of mosaic art. So they wanted me to use that as a jumping off point, which which was a really interesting way to see it that I had never never seen it. Was there type in that one still? Yeah, it was all type based. Okay. Yeah, I haven't for now. I haven't done a, a fosaic that that didn't have, have type as like the central element. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that because I know I I think I've seen one that had um, I think it was inspired by Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. That one had type also, yeah, though. Yeah, right? that one, that was gorgeous. With Thank the, you. The motifs of, of... Yeah, that one was a collaboration with um, this uh, jewelry designer in... Um, I think she's in maybe one of the Carolinas, either North or South. And she had... Uh, her name is Madiha. And she had just come back or was about to go to Turkey, to Izmir to do volunteer work for uh, Syrian refugees, to help Syrian refugees. And we decided to make that piece together to help her raise money for them. So she really, obviously, aside from helping with the the Arabic, which I don't speak, um, we also worked, worked out this like background pattern together and... Um, she helped me with the calligraphy. Um, the, yeah, that one's the gorgeous. Arabic the colors are, form. are amazing. And and we wanted, obviously, we wanted to use um, Turkish and Arabic colors that were inspired by their sort of their own tile tradition and mosaic tradition. So now you have all of this Instagram you notoriety. And what are other types of things are you trying to move this mosaics 
into? Yeah, so most recently, there have been a few clients who wanted me to move the sort of mosaics outside of Instagram and into the real world, which is sort of really, which is really interesting to me. So one of them wanted me to, to design an actual mosaic, which was a lot of fun. They, they assumed I, I was just able to just make a mosaic and which happens quite a lot. Like I do get a lot of requests to make real mosaics, which I, I don't know how to do. So I have to explain that I, can design them, but then I need to partner with a local sort of mosaic artist to actually make it happen. And most people just are satisfied with that explanation and they just go away. And, 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 and which is too bad because I think it would be great to do more real mosaics. But one client in particular was not, was not scared by that prospect. And, and they were like, sure, find someone and um, let's make it happen. So fortunately they're, the location they needed a mosaic in was in New York City, which has a lot of everything. So I was able to find this um, this sort of old Lithuanian couple that has a mosaic studio in Midtown, and they've ha- they've been there since like forever it seems. And they worked with my design, and they made they made a, a real mosaic. So that's installed um, in this French clothing boutique. Oh, really? In Soho, yeah, on, Eliz- on Elizabeth Street, actually. Oh, um, I have to go check that out. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to create. Um, so that's one sort of um, one way that they've kind of come outside of Instagram and and gone into the real world. Even though obviously that boutique wanted to create an Instagram moment for their customers. Like that's why they have this like mosaic on the floor. So people will photograph it and post it on Instagram. So it all kind of goes back to Instagram anyway. Otherwise I haven't really been doing very many mosaics in the last few weeks. Okay. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're talking to you because of this, the beautiful crafted fake mosaics called mosaics, but you also do type and do ligatures and do book covers. Yeah. Right. So have you been doing some of that lately? Yeah, so I've been preparing for a series of workshops that I'm teaching this year, sort of across the the United States, um, and those have focused on Art Deco specifically. So, which is a, you know a really big interest of mine, and it's been a pleasure to be able to dive a little bit deeper into this this type style and try to make it attractive to someone who maybe is not a design history sort of buff has it's been it's been a lot of fun i think there's um it's different than a lot of the design i'm seeing on instagram right now um which tends to be very script driven so i i'm curious to see if i can get people to like art deco style typography and i'm curious to see what people can can do with it um so that's chiefly what I've been focusing on for the last few weeks. But of course, the reality is that there are some projects that are just, you know, like I'm, I'm working on a website for a client that I've had for years. Regular design stuff. Regular design stuff that <laughs> um, I, you know, this, this client has been with me for a long, long time. And I don't want to abandon them just because, you know, it's not the type of work I'm like obsessed about at this particular time. They've been good to me and I, I sort of cherish that relationship. So um, I do want to make time for those clients and it, it's, it's good to sometimes sort of hide yourself and, and not have it be like, this is the thing I'm doing and it looks like something I do. It's it, this is a, in, in, in this other case, it's, it's a it's a website that isn't supposed to look like Nick Masani did it or whatever. It's just supposed to look like a, a website that's appropriate for them and that looks right. good for them. It's so an Art Deco website that you need to make sure it looks like this. Yeah, just, no, no. It's not it's Art function. Deco. It's right. just like, it's just a regular modern design website. Um, and sometimes you sort of have to, and maybe it's not a bad idea to do those things every once in a while. So that's also something I'm working on currently. Take a little bit of space. Yeah. Get your head out of, you know, doing one thing. Right. Maybe if it's too monotonous, yeah, you don't start to like it or enjoy right. it anymore. No, totally. Yeah. Um, 
What weakness do you think you have that you're trying to turn into a strength? Hmm. Well, I'm very sort of restless about things. I, um, I'm thinking a lot about where I am and where the current, you know, where my current trajectory is taking me and what, if I should be doing something to change that or to take control of that. And, um, this restlessness often translates into sort of overthinking and anxiety about jobs and all of that, which is obviously not good, but it also gives me sort of a level of awareness, which I think is, is helpful. So I'm just trying to focus on the good parts of this character trait that I can obviously do nothing about, um, and bring those out and kind of nurture the sort of the good aspects of it and try to keep the the kind of nervousness that comes with it under control. Mm, okay. I know, but I think sometimes nervousness is like, it's kind of good. Yeah, it's, it's, sure. It's a good little fire that keeps you yeah. trying to keep on doing what you're doing. Also, you know, meticulousness is, I know that like, it's sort of a cliche, like, you know, oh, I mean, I'm obsessive with detail and blah, 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 you know, but it's, I think it can sort of this, focusing too much on the small things can really get in the way. So that's, I'm, I'm not a very like big picture type of person with my design. I'm much more sort of craft driven and detail oriented, which I think in many ways can is, is possibly a flaw, but can also translate into doing work that is about the detail or a celebration of detail and a celebration of sort of intricacy and laboriousness, which is sort of what Fosaics turned out to be. Right. I think it needs that, that level of intricacy to, to even work, yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it would always look fake. The reason sure. why people are most likely attracted to it is because of how intricate it looks and to know that someone actually sat draw there it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and colored in every single tile. Um, it is one of those like double-edged swords, right? Yeah, like you of need course. it for certain things, but then yeah, it can overtake it because you're focusing on yeah. a little thing and not understanding everything else. Yeah, and around. you get lost like choosing a tiny little detail when you should be like finishing the thing, you know, and it's <laughs> overdue and like you get stressed out. Yeah. You're your worst enemy. Yeah. All the time. Oh, I hate being late on <laughs> with anything. I well, that's hate good. it. That's good. I tell my students that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they they're they're like, what do you mean? It's only five minutes late. I'm like, nope. Yeah, it stresses me out. <laughs> Good, good. Um, what advice would you tell a younger self, younger you? Huh. How young? Because if we're talking like it's 10, I would say like get more serious about studying an instrument. So like I'd be good by now or like <laughs> be better at French class, like actually pay attention. Learn Japanese yeah. before you go to Japan. Any of those things. But if we're talking specifically design related, um, I don't know. I guess I would probably I would probably reassure myself that things tend to work out and that we are a pretty adaptable, resilient species. So, um, you know, I went into design thinking I'd be designing business cards and websites my entire career, and I was totally fine with that. And um and it is to- is it is a totally fine way to create graphic design. Um, but then I discovered this other thing and, and now I'm totally fine doing this very specific, historically inspired lettering for now anyway. And, uh, and I guess I would sort of tell myself not to worry too much about whether or not this is going to turn out to be like, is this is the right decision for my career. Like things tend to kind of like fall into place and we tend to sort of naturally follow where our passion takes us. Now, conversely, let's think about some junior designers coming up and sure. if, what knowledge would you impart onto them? Um, I would, I would tell them to sort of keep your head down and work really hard, uh, practice really hard. I think um, starting my adult life studying classical music has taught me a lot about the importance of practice and the importance of just sitting in a room by yourself several hours a day practicing the same passage over and over again because that's just how music is learned like you just have to get into your muscle memory and but for some reason practicing design or like being a practicing designer doesn't doesn't usually translate into like that type of attitude towards learning and 
I think something that has helped me a lot was just this idea that I'm going to have to work really hard for a really long time before I'm any good, before I'm even mediocre, I'm going to have to work a ton. And as, as important as confidence is, I think that being sort of overconfident can do more harm than good if you think that everything is sort of going to be easy for you and that you deserve everything right off the bat. I think people get into a lot of sort of trouble and their kind of growth gets maybe stifled a little bit if they're if they're not open to just toiling away in the dark for quite some time, you know. And and I think the internet and social media have have created this this myth of sort of celebrity at such a young age, which has helped a lot of us like make a living, but not that I consider myself that obviously, but um, has helped a lot of people make a living with the internet. But then you think of people like Luis, who it, it's taken her career to get to who she is, but her her work, the work that she's amassed over the course of her life and her skill and her teachings and her legacy is going to outlive Instagram probably and outlive her and it it sort of creates something that's that's more that's more sort of physical and rooted in the real world it's not sort of in this like amorphous digital space right right and i guess that that leads into one of, one of my next questions is um you know talking about the young crop of designers like what weaknesses or strengths do you see coming out of young designers today? Well, I think people are just getting amazingly good at an amazingly young age. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, I see people who do really great lettering and maybe they're just like in their early 20s or or younger. I just had coffee with um, with a designer in, in, uh, in Milan while I was there. Uh, a couple weeks ago and when um when he told me his age i was like how are you still a teenager he's 19 and he has over 50,000 instagram followers and is you know of pretty is a quite an accomplished letterer wow at 19 i hadn't even you know i was just moving to the states to go to college I didn't even know what major I wanted to do it, let alone be like accomplished in, in a specific, you know, in a specific field already. Right, things are different. It's, it's amazing. But at the same time, I think there's also a lot of like, and I'm not, obviously I'm not saying that this is his case. So Mark, if you're listening, you're amazing. But, um, a lot of, a lot of people, um, are eager to try out different, um, they're eager to try out different styles, like uh, almost as if they're sort of trying an outfit as like, as they obviously as they develop their own voice, which is terribly important and I think should be done. But at the same time, there isn't as much personal exploration about like what truly interests you um, and what is going to eventually make your work different from everybody else's work. There's this sort of homogenizing force that, um, social media has that is make makes people sort of want to just see something and replicate it and not necessarily explore what about that maybe they like and what makes it relevant to them and to their life and then push that further into new territory right so you're just kind of spewing out and regurgitating the same exact thing all the time and then because there's that instant sort of validation also you know like of posting it and right i definitely think that would be a great way for new crop of designers to push these mm-hmm. ideas that are happening currently and move them forward so it's not just stagnating into well everybody's seeing this let's all do the same sure. thing and that's good i'm gonna impart that to my students and tell them to oh, do, awesome. do yeah. more research on their stuff as we come to a close i just want to ask one last question um so what does the future hold for nick for me um well i'm I'm thinking a lot about that, obviously. Um, like I said, I, I tend to like get restless and, and think a lot about the future. I'm um, finding myself um, interested in kind of what what's next after Fosaics and after sort of where, where, where am I now as a designer after this has happened to me. 
um, and has provided me with a whole bunch of different experiences. I had the chance to um, to be on sort of podcasts like this one and travel to give um, talks around the world, which has been sort of surreal. And so what, so thinking about kind of what's next, do I want more of this? Did I enjoy it enough that like, I want to keep this going and do more public speaking and have more of this kind of trajectory that I, for the longest time thought was what I I should be hoping for as a designer in 2018. Um, Or do I want to sort of do something else? And I'm leaning towards the taking sort of the more introspective route and going back to the things that excited me about mosaics, not necessarily the fact that they're mosaics, but the fact that they're based on old kind of laborious processes processes, and they're um, within the field of decorative arts and kind of going back to those core interests and creating something new or reevaluating what I'm interested in to sort of continue to create work that still feels like it's, um, it's true to, to my own passions. A little more introspective. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm not a natural public speaker, so I don't really want to do a ton more of like large sort of conference speaking. That's very difficult for me. It makes me nervous and makes everybody nervous. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make only you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, some people are, some people are are a lot better at faking it. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose uh, you're right. Yeah. I just, I hate the feeling of, of imagining that people think that I'm wasting their time or something like that by just sort of sitting in the audience while I'm sort of going on. And I just, it's not an experience that I don't get as much of the thrill when it's done or I, um, I am super grateful for the fact that people are interested enough to invite me. Um, but as an activity, I much, I much sort of prefer just sort of staying in and like exploring some sort of artistic, I guess, or design thing, uh, that is is sort of more interesting to me like doing like doing the right. work more than like we're, you know we're we're makers designers yeah. are still makers sometimes yeah. we just like to actually just put our heads down yeah and exactly yeah and just sort of put some music on and just make some tea and just like right make right. stuff yeah cool second to last that was yeah that, that okay was, that, that wasn't was the last fake. question okay. only because where do you want to travel next oh what a good question um where do i want to travel well I will be traveling next to Austin, Texas. This is my first stop in the Art Deco lettering workshop tour. Um, and I do, I am excited about visiting Austin. I've never been to Texas. Um, but as far as if I, if I could pick like any place in the world, um, there's a possibility I might be moving to London next year. So um, I'm really excited by the thought of trying to live in Europe again. The idea of sort of re-exploring Europe and my kind of upbringing as an adult um, sounds really interesting because I didn't get to do a ton of traveling around Europe when I was in, you know, when I was a child and when I was in um, in high school. So I'm looking forward to that. Sweet. Well, that is it. Um, Nick, thank you so much for being on the Works and Process podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, awesome. I really, really enjoyed kind of really getting into the nitty gritty of some of the the pieces and learning honestly about designing around the negative space versus the positive. Cause I yeah. thought that was a really interesting um, take. Cause we're so focused on the words, not the space around the words. And I, I really enjoyed hearing some of that stuff and um, I'm going to impart some of this nice wisdom to my students. Excellent. <laughs> so, so they can learn to kind of just, you know what, everything we do is rooted in history and to be more observant because the stuff that we don't even know is going to be interesting to us is yeah. kind of always around. And us. also the answers are there. I mean, like there's this great like history is this awesome self-curating sort of resource of the life's work of so many talented individuals. Like we only get the best of the best remembered in history. So and that's all like at our fingertips right now. Right. For as much as I've like bashed the internet, like it's all there. <laughs> like, you know, I can look up, you know, William Morris and I see this 
all these amazing like wallpaper designs that are endlessly inspiring at the touch of a button. Right. Like, it's amazing. Right. I mean, that that to me is where the internet, internet shines. Yeah, for you sure. Know, you know, yeah. so once again, thank you. Appreciate thank you your so time much. and all the great stuff in your apartment. I appreciate you, you know, letting us be here and spending time with your dog, Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to just, Cooper. He's just chilling on, on, on his huge bed. On his huge bed. But, um, so if you heard little tip taps in the background during the interview, that, that was, was good for walking around. around. Um, but thank you once again. Thank I you so much it. for having me. All right. Take care. And this is Works in Process. Thanks for listening. Go to the podcast website, wip.show, where you can find the show notes from this episode and find links to any artists, resources, and work that's mentioned in the interview. Also, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to my Works in Process podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other place you get your podcasts. You also can connect with me on Twitter or Facebook via works underscore in process. That's works with an S underscore in process, one word. And you can find behind the scene pics on Instagram by searching the hashtag works underscore in process. Thanks again. And until next time, Follow your gut and trust in the process.